Hey everyone, it's Serge from Libra Lounge. This episode is pretty light and fun, but we go into some heavy topics at the end, including cancer, death, and suicide. I'll have some resources at the end of the show and in the show notes for people who struggle with depression, but if hearing about these things is going to put you in a bad place, you might want to skip this episode. Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom with Christopher Lemmerweber and Serge Roklowski. Hey, Chris. Hey, Serge. So, um, actually, you and I were talking about something throughout this week because an interesting phenomenon has happening, been happening amongst my group of friends uh, in the town that I'm in, which is that a bunch of us wanted to start speaking to each other again. And we were, you know, kind of had crossed a bunch of various, you know, messaging forms. And we were actually communicating mostly over text messages. And we were like, well, this is no good. Um, so we were like, oh, well, you know, a, actually a whole lot of us had XMPP accounts from back in the day. XMPP also known as Jabber. And we were like, oh, well, why don't we start chatting over that again? And, and over this last week, we kind of fired up those applications again and, uh, we we opened up a multi-user chat and jabber and started exchanging each other's contact information. It kind of hit me like this sudden wave of nostalgia and also feeling of like, oh man, like there was a feeling, you know, some of these different messaging systems kind of felt different over time. Would you would you say that you you felt the same way that the, the the feelings of some of these systems has been kind of different, even if they might be doing some similar things? Yeah, I think that. Over time, there was definitely a different, almost pioneer feeling of instant messengers in the past. And and when you brought this topic up to me, I started thinking about uh, having a little bit of nostalgia for for some of this. And so I, I want to go through just my experience of getting on uh, both the internet and pre-internet. So the first time I had exposure to any of these systems was before I had internet access in the 90s, I was on a number of BBSs. And you could do live chat on these BBS systems, and you could talk to other users. For those of uh, for those people who didn't have BBSs, they were basically um, like all-in-one services that just regular people would set up in their basement or their bedroom, um, and that everyone would just sort of call in, literally, with their modems, and you could interact with other users and do file transfers, or email, or whatever. It was also and, it, my dad ran one actually. Oh wow, that's that's cool. Yeah, on the uh, Commodore 64, it was called, my dad was a religion teacher, and he it was called Heavenly Places, and people kept dialing in thinking it was for something that was not religious experience <laughs> chat. Um, <laughs> that's great. Uh, so then um, we got CompuServe, and that was fun. Other people were using Prodigy, and then shortly after that, um, we got AOL, and this was back in the day when AOL was, was a per-minute charge um, but you could you could enter these chat rooms and also do what we would now call instant messaging direct you know it was direct messaging and and I remember felt completely amazing to be able to communicate with people about topics about any topic in the world and find other people that were interested in it and be able to just chat with people wherever they were in the world and in fact um, I won't get too deep into this but it's how I met my first a uh, serious girlfriend was on one of these services. Um, and we, we were on a chat room 
uh, about actually it was funny because it was a religious debate uh, room and we were having these discussions and it was it was super fun. Um, and then I got uh, the internet and I started actually the first service I used was IRC and I used because I was on Windows I used Merck as my oh yeah first. I'm IRC Trout Slap yes exactly uh, and then uh, ICQ came around. Oh, and yes. The the blinking little index card in the corner of the screen, that was a huge deal for me and my friends. ICQ defined the user experience for, like, all these applications to come for quite a while. Yeah, and my, my girlfriend actually knows the woman who did the sound for ICQ. Oh, uh, man, awesome. So, uh, and then uh, what was really cool was then AOL opened up their messenger so that people who were not logged into AOL could use it and they called it AIM and that was super great uh, and at the same time I was still using IRC and then uh, I use a service called CUCME and that was interesting because it was kind of like chat roulette um, but not as dirty apparently because uh, I talked to people on there and there, there was no nudity or anything it was just people being like oh my God, I'm connected with a random person somewhere around the world and I can talk to them and I can see them and hear them. And it was really, really cool. Um, and then around that time for me is when I got into free software. And uh, a few years into that was the first release of Pigeon. And Pigeon is a program that lets you connect to these different services all at the same time. And it was not called Pigeon at the time. Right, what it was, was it called? It was called Game. G-A-I-M. It's right. That's they right. had to rename it because there was like a hidden dispute they had with AOL over the name. So they then renamed it to Pigeon. And uh, and I remember being able to use all the services on there and I used and I had I was logged into you know AIM and I was logged into ICQ and I was logged into I think I was logged into Skype because you could connect to Skype, although I don't recall. Um, and just around this time for me is when Google released Google Talk. And the cool appeal for Google Talk was that it talked uh, the, it, it, it talked Jabber, right? And it, it were XMPP. Yeah, well, actually, so I had been into Jabber and XMPP for a number of years before that conversion happened. And I had been fighting with my friends. I would tell them, oh, you shouldn't use AIM. You should use this. Uh, and it was called Jabber before it was called XMPP. I'm like, you should use Jabber. And um, kind of a similar problem that's happened with a lot of federated social web things. That meant that everybody signed up on like the main Jabber, like the kind of the flagship Jabber instance, which went down all the time, like all the time. And so all my friends wrote off like, oh, Jabber's no good. Jabber sucks, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it was like my first experience of being like, it's an implementation, not the protocol. The protocol's great. But, you know, that, but like nobody, but everybody like was like waving me off and like yeah yeah this thing will never take off but yeah as you said then google talk and gmail came in and integrated with xmpp slash jabber uh and uh and like my buddy list just exploded yep and that was really exciting for me and that that for me was the moment where i believed that google was a good player um, because they were they were interoperating when they didn't have to, it was like, okay, well, they're going to interrupt with email and they're going to interrupt with 
um, with instant messaging, and they're going to bring in this new level uh, of, of interoperability, and they're going to be the leaders, and that's why they're going to win. Uh, at the same time, I was using an encryption system uh, that Pigeon had called Off the Record, and Off the Record was really interesting on a number of dimensions. We could do a whole discussion about that, but what was neat about it um, one of the big features is it, is it worked across different communication platforms. So I could use OTR with AIM. I could use OTR um, with uh, ICQ or or XMPP or any of those systems, and it just worked. And that was really amazing um, for me, and, and I and I loved it, and I, st- I still miss it, frankly, to this day. Well, it's kind of funny. It wasn't like the OTR level on top of things was like a really – hacky way to do things because it didn't really do it at the protocol level it like put these hacks on on another layer on top of it on just kind of the messages coming back and forth and hopefully your application understood what those were otherwise else you get these weird if you didn't have otr you get these weird messages that are like we're trying to establish an otr connection and then it would just be like this like you know a whole bunch of garbage would just come there and then the person's like what's happening but yeah if both people had otr it surprisingly worked and worked really well yeah and you know as you said chris the the landscape of instant messaging has changed i don't think instant messaging and chat rooms have gone away if anything i think they're more popular than they ever have been but the platforms have changed over the years and so, as you said, I, uh, I think it'd be a good idea to talk about what happened, right? So why aren't, why aren't we using the same instant messengers that we were using uh, 10 or 20 years ago? What are the current generation and um, what, do those, what do those current generation have in terms of both interface and protocol? And then maybe where we are now and where we think things might be going or where we would like to see them go. Okay. Well... First of all, I'd, I'd like to talk about what kind of the user experience of some of these things was back in the day, because I feel like the user experience has shifted, actually. Um, one thing that you brought up ICQ, um, I feel like ICQ and IRC were kind of the two standard feelings that you would have, like the kind of two standard shapes of, of messaging that you'd have uh, on your desktop in this era, kind of before the mobile era of messaging took off. Um, would, would you agree? Like, like that ICQ, like, uh, um, pioneered that Windows had this notification area on the screen and it pioneered putting this icon there that normally if you were just online, it would be this green, uh, flower. And then if you got a message, it would have this little flashing index card, uh, indicating that a message was coming in. And like all the applications followed this pattern, right? Pigeon followed it, everything. I think that we can take one step back. So the the difference, the, the two paradigms were really, and, and I realize that both of these applications I'm going to describe are proprietary, but I think they were hugely influential. So there were other IRC clients than Merck, but I think Merck had the nicest, cleanest interface mm-hmm. where you had the chat, the, 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 the IRC channel, which is basically a chat room in a big window. And then on, and then on the side, you had all the people in there. You could right click and get a context sensitive menu for things you could do to interact with each individual. And that was really powerful. There were other chat, uh, there were other IRC clients and they just weren't as easy to use. And what 
ICQ had was ICQ was was optimized for one-to-one communication, and I don't think it even did multi-user chat. And what you had was you had a buddy list, a list of your friends on um, what Jabber later called your roster, right? And then you'd click on them. You click on that name of your friend, and a window would pop up, and that window would have your one-to-one chat, and you could have multiple one-to-one chats. I don't remember if it had tabs, um, but it definitely had multiple windows, and every conversation was very clear that it was a one-to-one conversation. And as you said, um, the other thing that ICQ pioneered was this idea of having notifications, although I think um, Merck also had that. So you could, you'd see in a sort of semi-interruptible way, oh, I've got a new message. And that that was in a way kind of addictive. It's like, oh, I got a new notification. Uh, I got to respond to that. Right. Yeah. I think you're right in pointing out that these being the two kind of predominant paradigms in terms of, and it being those two applications that kind of define them. Um, by the way, the tabs thing, I think, I think it actually was game slash pigeon that innovated it. I could be wrong, but I remember, um, trying to convince all my friends, you really need to use, you know, pigeon and one of the, or game at the time. And one of the selling points I would say is, look, you don't need to have 50 windows open. You can have one with these tabs. Do you remember that was actually a big selling point of Firefox early on? Yeah, I, th- Fire- I think that's true too. Yeah. I, as, as now that I'm remembering, it's, it's, it's been a long time. I think that's right. I think that was a, a game thing. Yeah. Because before Firefox- that, yeah, you'd have, you'd have lots of little interface. You'd have lots of little, um, individual windows and then you have, then you have to keep track of all those windows. Yeah, it's funny because I remember when Firefox first came out, like the big advertisement you would make for everybody was tabs, 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 tabs. And it's the same thing with Pigeon. And like it's so long since that happened that like the idea of tabs being a really big deal, it's kind of strange. But that was like the free software innovation in both of those programs, I think, was the introduction of tabs. I could be wrong, uh, but I but but, you know, but in general, that most of the shape did come from those two proprietary applications that I think was kind of mimicked. I mean, that happens pretty often, right? Like if you look at like chiptunes, like most chiptune applications are written, they all look like this old program called Fast Tracker. Um, there may have been another one before it, I forget. But I like, you know, the the pattern of like some application gives kind of the definitive look and feel and user experience, and then a bunch of applications it mimic it. But what's interesting is that, you know, even though um even though you had IRC, which was really optimized for group chats, and you had you had these, you know, like uh ICQ-ish, AIM-ish, uh XMPP-ish. Um, type applications for like pigeon even though both of them could handle the other one's domain the applications were generally not as good for the, that other domain like they would oftentimes support it and it would be awkward like, yeah, like pigeon supported irc poorly. irc and xmpp multi-user chats right but like <laughs> it doesn't feel right like that interface feels wrong for whatever reason like i think it's because like you know oh do you actually put that in its own separate window or should it just be a tab in there? And like, it, it doesn't have for some reason. And then, you know, the same thing with IRC, you can open up a direct message, but it's not quite as nice as scrolling through that roster list and seeing, ah, here are my friends that are online. Oh, these ones are available. I just really would love to talk with this friend right now, you know? So do we want to talk about why we think that the current generation, that this previous generation died off or do we want to talk about today? Yeah, no, I think we should talk about what kind of killed it. I think, uh, and it's not dead, right? Like, so these things are not completely gone. I have friends that I continue to talk to 
you know, the free software community is still very active on IRC and the, and I still have people that I talk to on XMPP. And as I said, there's a weird thing where it's like kind of coming back. Um, but, but the proprietary ones, the proprietary platform. So ICQ got folded into AOL, um, and that was cool for a while. And then AOL sh- shut, uh, aim down. Yeah. And my buddy list just collapsed. Uh, everybody that I hadn't convinced to move over to Jabber just disappeared. And then I feel like even though we're going to talk about IRC, um, when, uh, when Google start, when Google basically announced that they were shutting down their XMPP gateway and it wasn't really possible to use their software within Pigeon, my use of, uh, Google talk drastically decreased and I still use it sometimes for hangouts and meetings that I need to take. But for the most part, I don't use it anymore. Well, yeah, my, in some way, so this is a sad lesson for the federated social web today or any decentralized system is it can be really thrilling when that big player comes in. Cause you're like, yes, they're pulling in pretty much everyone else. Right. And, but if they decide to exit, then you're kind of screwed. Like if you haven't distributed people outside of the big player, uh, I mean, my, my buddy list kind of became a ghost town during that whole process. And, and honestly, it's, I've stopped talking to a lot of people that I used to talk to very regularly. And that's a big bummer, you know, because of that defederation, I guess. Yeah. I, I would say that's, I would say that's definitely a, a lesson for us as a community to, to learn, which is, yeah, it's great when a big uh, player comes in, a proprietary player that says, Oh, we're going to support this thing. And then they, they, they convince everyone to use it. And oftentimes, um, and, uh, I don't want to get too deep in down this rabbit hole, but I know people that also stopped running their own mail server because, hey, Google will run my mail server for free. And then suddenly now the number of independent mail servers has drastically gone down. And if you're not using Gmail, your email is sus- suspect and uh, et cetera. So that's that's definitely a, a, a lesson that we um, need as a community to learn. Um, yeah. So, and so I think there's a, a couple of other things too. Okay, let me say one of the ones that I think is not the case. I don't think it's that XMPP was not a good protocol because actually I think XMPP is a really great protocol and remains a source of inspiration for me. You know, XMPP did a lot of things right by being, I talk a lot about the actor model and activity pub and XMPP is also an actor model system. Um, and, you know, the it did support and does support extensions, many of which have been adopted by the community kind of incrementally. Um, it, you know, supported a much better design of multi-user chat from a protocol perspective than IRC ever did. Um, it like supports a lot of the things that people want from multi-user chat things from like way long ago, even though no, people generally haven't used it for that. Um, so I don't think it's a protocol problem. You know, yeah, it's using XML and XML is not very popular today, but I, you know, that to me, that's not that big of a deal. Um, I think that another thing that really changed was also actually the, the way that we run applications. And so one of those we could say is that people started using smartphones and there might not have been clients for these things on their smartphones, right? Like recently conversations.im has become fairly popular on Android. Um, like we're popular ish, right? But, and it seems pretty good, but 
it took a long time for that to be a, like, I guess to kind of pick up and for something that felt really nice and familiar to be there. And I, I feel like maybe that's part of it also. Um, I also know that I actually think the free software desktop also changed things. And, and, um, so when, when there was a switch from GNOME 2 to GNOME 3, we mentioned that there was that pioneering thing that ICQ did, which is to put the thing in the notifications area, um, that showed you whether or not a message was still there. And, um, I really didn't realize how much I relied on that until I switched to GNOME 3. And then people would message me and I would, not notice that they messaged me for hours because GNOME 3 dropped that notification area. And so I, um, you know, no longer had that kind of like, I step back to my computer and like, I'm like, oh, you know, like my friend Jay just messaged me. I should, you know, like respond back, you know, it would be like five hours later and then the conversation would be stale. And there were some extensions you could install. And if you switch to Epiphany, GNOME would do some things really nicely. But I noticed that actually around that time and actually this is not a GNOME 3 hating thing because I, I, I am and especially was at that time a huge defender of GNOME, uh, doing all these experimentations with things. But sadly, I like, even though you could install plugins and extensions that would handle this, um, they would break between releases and stuff like that. And I never got a setup that felt as nice as it used to be in GNOME 2. And I noticed that a bunch of my other free software friends at the same time, I guess because that kind of reliable, trusty interface design that was built into the desktop kind of disappeared, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of us stopped kind of noticing each other's messages, which decreased our responsiveness time. I don't know. Maybe maybe that hasn't been the experience of other people, but I know that several of my friends and I had conversations about that. Yeah, I think that's. I think there were a number of contributors. You mentioned mobile apps, and the the early Jabber supporting mobile apps were. They were they were functional, but they were a little bit tricky to use. Um, they they seemed like you know, experimental. They they didn't have a lot of UX expertise being put in them, which is understandable because they were probably just individual developers. Who and this might this might not have been their expertise, especially when mobile apps were new. And it was you know there weren't there weren't easy libraries that they could rely on to do a lot of this work. So so the other applications tended just they just kind of took over because they were easier to use. And also, I think you you may be underestimating how popular SMS and MMS were, right? Or and are? Oh no, just I, yeah, yeah. You're right. No, you're completely right. Um, so, I think it might be useful to talk about today and where where we are today in uh, this landscape. Um, and so, I just wrote down a couple of uh, a number of instant messengers or communication real time communication platforms that I still use. Um, I hate to admit it, but I actually still use Skype, um, and Skype was and still is pretty great and reliable, even though it's not nearly as good as it was before Microsoft bought it. Um, I think a lot of these uh, platforms have become specialized, uh, and the, the one I'm thinking about in particular is Slack. So a lot of workplaces use Slack, and if people who've not used Slack, it's basically uh, a very modern-looking IRC. Well, right. It's okay. IRC on a web page with uh, back scrolling and previews. Well, wait, and this this okay. You just hit something really important with Slack. And actually, we at at the panel I was on at Libre Planet this year, we talked about this a bit, which is it's actually the Slack bit distresses me because, as you said, 
Slack looks so much like IRC. Like Slack basically was like, oh, look at this thing that all these kind of, you know, free software and other tech nerd people have been doing for a long time. Let's just take that and repackage it in a way that's more accessible and generally used in the browser, maybe on mobile clients as well, um, and make it well, like, convenient for modern audiences. They, they they also they also added bots as a first class sort of object. Um, although we we always had bots. Yeah, we always uh, had bots. I remember the first but, time that I saw an IRC bot, it blew my mind. Right, like that there was a you know that this person this thing was like I'm collecting a message. You can you know like come back later and like or I'll deliver it to them later and you know all sorts of silly things. IRC bots are like IRC is not a good protocol in many ways. But it's extremely simple, which means it's very easy to learn to program network stuff using it, which means that we've like the culture of building IRC bots has been in from early on. But you're also right. I think there was also a weird era where there was an era of hype that like the next big thing in the venture capital world was going to be these chat bots, which didn't happen. Um, a little. Well, it, it happened, but in a very different way. The uh, by the way, do you know do you know the song about um, about IRC bots from Bass, uh, Bass Hunter? Uh, I don't. I will I will link that into. Show. Okay, but uh, there's a whole there's a whole uh, it's a whole techno song about IRC bots. It's awesome. Awesome, but um, but but here's here's the point that I want to, ra- to to the question I want to ask you. You know why did we fail to capture if we had almost all the ideas right? Like the free software world, you know, pretty much had everything there. And yet this proprietary, you know, Silicon Valley company, you know, whooshes in and manages to cover this domain in a way that the free software world didn't. What did we miss? So I think there's a couple of answers to that. So first of all, there are some features that Slack has that we don't have. And then the number one Emoji. that IRC is missing is, is backlog. And that's pretty huge. And that's something that I also felt like XMPP Although there is an extension, XMPP multi-user chat has backlog, but it's not it's not universal. It it's and Slack it's there. Um, and the other thing is, I don't I think you can't underestimate the power of marketing. Right, this is a company that has a lot of money behind it, and they would advertise on NPR and other places, and that's how people would hear about it. And for for some people, for a lot of people, Slack was their first exposure to chat. Yeah, I well actually the multi-user first, chat. The first time I ever encountered Slack was, and it was when I was doing the Stripe open source retreat, and I was staying in this apartment with a few other people who, you know, I was just kind of renting this place with like a number of other people were also living there, and uh, one of the people who was working there, uh, I don't remember what it was that she was doing. She wasn't a programmer, and she was saying talking about how much she loved chat Slack and how it allowed her to be a remote employee, which, you know, Slack partly came out at the right time of when companies were starting to really explore remote employees in a way that was very similar to the way that programmers have been doing remote collaboration for a long time. And uh, and she's like, yeah, I love Slack, and I had never heard of it. And I looked at it, and I'm like, wow, this looks almost exactly like IRC. And she's like, you know, well, what's IRC? I don't know what that is. And she's like, well, I like Slack because when because Slack lets me enter all these emojis, and and Slackbot, you know, says cute things to me, and you know, like, and it's a great way to connect to my coworkers. And like, I just kind of, I was like, you know, yeah, okay, I can appreciate that. And then I also just felt very sad. Like, I felt very sad, like it was an opportunity lost. 
But you're right. There's a lot of marketing there. There's also the willingness to set up private servers for corporations um, and things like that. Well, I think what you're what you're bringing up is the ease of on-ramp, right? And I and I because I also want to talk about Discord because I put Slack and Discord in the same bucket in my mind, and I know a lot of people, and including myself, who are on Discord, who are parts of, you know, if you want to make an, a community on Slack or Discord. It takes you a minute and then you get your own quote unquote server, right? What they call, what they, what they call a server. It's just an instance. And for, you know, for us, you know, if I said, okay, well, let's set up my own IRC server, that would take me, you know, at least an hour, right? I have to learn, I have to find which one and install it and, you know, I'd, I'd have to maintain it, but right. But I can just go on Slack or, or Discord and just, you know, click a couple of buttons and type in the name and I'm done. Right. So that's that's really powerful, um, and they they really captured that both of them, and they and they're very similar looks and feels for both of these technologies. So I think that we can learn a lot from them, and it's not just we've lost. We need to. Um, I think what they've taught, what they need to teach us, is that we need uh, to make it easy to set up and it make it easy to share instances. That's hugely important. And make those instances "quote unquote" private because because they're not really private. Neither Slack or Discord really have pri- any privacy, but they give the illusion of privacy and the illusion of being exclusive, um, and, and that's that's again very powerful. So um, let's move on a little bit. Uh, the other one that I think is hugely popular is WhatsApp. Um, I'm not on WhatsApp, but um, a lot of people I know are, especially Europeans. I know. People's whole, they'll have whole families and other groups just on WhatsApp. And um, I don't know what your your experience with that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Well, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, is that the Facebook Instant Messenger is merged with WhatsApp yet? Or is that not currently? No, they're they're currently separate. Um, And WhatsApp uh, was a pretty good actor for a long time. Their their model was, well, we're not going to sell any ads. Well, what they sold were essentially emoji packs. So they were end to end. It was end to end encrypted, but then they sold emoji packs, and then they the whole company got sold to Facebook, and the founders basically quit. They said oh, they don't want to work uh, at Facebook for for various reasons, um, and there's a lot of talk about what WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger how they want to be com- you know how Facebook wants to combine them and then turn them into basically a Western version of WeChat, and WeChat is this Chinese company. That and what they've done is they've integrated payment systems and other things directly into this chat interface. At once frightening, but on the other hand, kind of from a tech perspective, intriguing. And uh, I'm wondering what, what what kind of things we could uh, learn from looking at, at WeChat. Yeah. See um, also Libre Lounge episode with Sean O'Brien. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so the so some of this end to end encryption stuff that came out of. Um, WhatsApp got turned into Open Whisper and became Signal. And I use Signal on my phone. Um, I know a lot of non-technical people and technical people who use Signal. You are one of the few friends of mine who is technical who doesn't use Signal. And I know we've talked about this in the past. We should absolutely have an episode on why you don't use Signal. But I think Signal is worth uh, mentioning because it is free software and it is secure and private. Right. Well... I'm not going to out who they are, but there's it's myself and one other 
well-known free software activist who bolt you're like you two are the only people i know who are not on signal and uh both of us it's for the same reason it's that uh they're not signal is not an f-droid and there's like this historical fight that basically has to do with the signal people saying we don't want our stuff packaged uh we don't want to make take the work to make it easily installed in a separate app repository. Google Play and the Apple Store are like the only places people should be getting things from, uh, which I find very disturbing. That's not actually what they say, but uh, I don't want to – I think this is a definitely a discussion for another time. Okay. Because I've, I've read these. I've read these back and forth. I've read these long posts. They give some very strong technical arguments about why they don't like Efteroid, and it has nothing to do with this is the only you know Google Play is the only place you should get them. It has to do with features that Efteroid is missing, and um, and then they say, what if you don't want to use Google Play? You can download the APK yourself, right? But it's not reproducible currently. It's 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 not reproducible. Um, I, I yeah, it's true. So it's not reproducible as far as I know, but. Um, but anyway, I think Signal is definitely worth mentioning, though, because it has many of these features, and it is it is secure, and it is run by an independent organization. And it's also an interesting aspect is also that it's not federated, right? So, and I now we you could say so that the Signal founder says, well, the reason for that is is simplicity, right? Um, we don't have to coordinate protocol like the like agreement of protocol between all these different things, we can roll out our application and know that everybody's speaking the same thing. You don't have to worry about something like XMPP uh, um, extensible protocol stuff. And also the fact that they're using, uh, you know, telephone numbers as uh, a way to link identifiers, as identifiers. Right. Um, So So if you didn't, if, if, if you, if you tried to federate that, what you need is some way of saying, well, wait, how do I map a phone number to which server it's on? And that and and there in the the server uh, source code is out there, but there's no way of currently in the implementation of separating that out. So you'd have to have some kind of external database lookup uh, of of saying, okay, well, this user with this phone number with this unique identifier is on this server versus this other server. So so that would have to be added. And I don't and and I think the the idea of Open Whisper is that. It's it's kind of like Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia isn't federated either. Um, and frankly, you know, uh, one of my concerns or one of the things that I've talked about in terms of OpenStreetMap was that it wasn't federated and I wanted it to be. But these are single services. So being not federated isn't a terrible thing, but it's definitely um, a different philosophy than than we have in some of the other in, in some of these systems. And it could mean that and, signal of, that the Open Whisper systems shuts down and then everything disappears again basically like it's another one of those scenarios yeah and just just like wikipedia it could be ex- it, it, that that exact same scenario could happen so let's actually since we're talking about federation uh let's talk well, about wait, uh wait can i okay you know since we're yeah. talking about federation and we're talking about signal can we talk about the thing that xmpp gained partly because of signal is omemo right like Omemo is a protocol for which is kind of like you can think of it as a next generation kind of version of OTR that's inspired by the way that Signal works. I, I don't know anything about Omemo. Well, it's interesting stuff. Maybe we should cover it at a future time. Um, yeah, that definitely because <laughs> I've never heard of it. Until... Anyway, uh, okay. Federation. So let's talk. I, I actually so so this is so this is one where 
we could have an entire episode, and I think we should have an entire episode about Matrix. And I know you have strong feelings about it. I have lukewarm feelings about it. Um, and so let's talk about the positive things about Matrix. And then let's talk about some of the things that we don't love. And maybe in a future episode, we can have an enti- we can have an expert on and talk about Matrix. Yep. Um, so let me start with some of the good things about Matrix. So Matrix is an application that is very similar to Slack, and it's very similar to Discord. And it, it, it is inspired by both of those. And it is a client-server protocol that has a default web interface called Riot. Um, or sorry, I don't know if it's called Riot. There's a, a popular client called Riot. They have, um, it's completely free software. They also have phone versions of the software. Um, and it is possible to run your own matrix server up to a point. And I'll get to that because I have some cons- I have some concerns and complaints about doing that. Um, but it is free software and a lot of people like it because it has more of the features that people have come to expect in both um, Slack and Discord. And that includes things like uh, being able to upload files along with your conversation, having uh, visual previews, and having voice chat uh, built in as a first-class object. Yeah, so um, there are some... Oh, and encryption. Right. So there are some things that I think that is... Well, it's another reason that people like Matrix so much is that it has a... Is that the Riot application is pretty easy to use, right? Like, and and easy to install for many people. And having an easy-to-use and easy-to-install, it's the on-ramp thing, right? Yeah, exactly. It... it and and again, I think it's also familiarity and the fact that they that they spent so much energy and time building a, a tool set that looks familiar to people who are technical and geeky, but also looks extremely familiar and easy to use for people that are used to systems like Slack and and uh, Discord, where you can just bring someone in and they don't even have to know that that they're using some kind of federated system. Um, so let's talk about some of um, – I know I don't know what you're going to talk about, Chris, but I'm going to talk about my, my frustrations with it. Go ahead. So my number one frustration with uh, Matrix is that they say, oh, we're fully federated, but the identity servers are not. And so I, I currently have a Matrix server running on my, one of my machines, but I don't have an identity server. And that really frustrates me. The idea that, oh, yes, I have a server, but my identity, sort of the core part that I think of is important, you have to communicate with the their, their server team and be vetted. And it, it just doesn't feel like an open federation system like ActivityPub or email or any of those. That's my number one complaint. I have others, but that's my number one complaint. Yeah, Um so one complaint that's very frequently raised, uh, it's not my main concern, is that the most popular application out there is an Electron app, which, you know, for, for those that don't know, is basically like, let's bundle a whole web server. You know, the, the application is a Node.js web server plus, you know, a browser. Um, but, you know, it people can write other clients, so that doesn't bother me too much, actually. Um, the thing that I think does uh, bug me is actually the protocol design. So I've looked at the protocol a few times and the way that it's looked to me 
is it's very REST server kind of like, but the REST server aspect is very, it's kind of, it looks to me like instead of having like a very strong kind of like foundational base, it had, it was a bunch of people developed, you know, kind of REST APIs and then just kind of codified that API that they got. Like it doesn't, well, okay. I think XMPP and ActivityPub are both very nice because they follow the actor model and the actor model has a very nice uh, foundational concept. And these kind of ad hoc REST server things, I feel like are not as clean of a way to define things. So, and that might sound like complaints from somebody who stared at protocol stuff for too long. And it is, right? You know, like, it is a complaint from somebody who stared at protocol stuff for too long. Most users don't care, right? If it works, they don't care, right? You know, and that's yeah. that's fine, right? You know. But I think but but I think it's a valid complaint when you're talking about wanting multiple implementations, right? And when you're talking about edge cases because when when you build these systems, edge cases are where things get funky and weird, and having a strong foundational model is how you is, is, is basically how you, I don't want to say get around that, but, you know, if, if you start off by kind of just, just ad hoc building, then, then you get into these weird scenarios, which is, which is going to get to my second problem with um, Matrix, which is that I have had issues where suddenly something just doesn't quite work. And, it, and, and then the answer from the Matrix people is, well, why don't you just use one of the, the main Matrix servers? And my answer to that is because then I'm not federating, right? And the whole reason I want to use Matrix is to federate and I don't want to use one of the main servers. And, um, and yeah, they're just like, oh, well, it's constantly shifting and changing and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be set down. The protocols are going to settle down, but, uh, you're going to need to upgrade your software and this and that. And I'm just like, this is too complicated for me, which means it's too complicated, which means one of two things. So if you're an average user, an average person, it's too complicated for you because you're not going to be upgrading your, your server all the time and having to keep up with the bleeding edge. And certainly if you're at a, a large organization, you don't want to have to keep upgrading or being stuck to some incompatibilities of some third party. And so that makes it uh, a poor choice for them. And then that doesn't leave too many people in the middle, which is why, in my opinion, there aren't too many independent servers running Matrix right now. Right. So that's my that's my beef with it. So so there's a funny thing that we um yeah, so I, I think I I agree that Matrix is doing uh good work in is in terms of building a mostly decentralized system that is free software and getting it in the hands of users, and I really appreciate that. So I don't I don't want to sound like I'm just hating on Matrix because I think that that's valuable. Um, but you know, those, those are the, con the concerns I raised are the concerns I have. But I also think that, you know, since we're talking about federated things, there's another form of, uh, well, there's a couple other forms of, you know, messaging that are federated. Well, we kind of didn't talk at all about how modern social media systems are in some ways also kind of similar to these instant messaging th systems that we talked to, right? Like Facebook and Twitter, even without using the special, uh, um, like a special, like instant messaging style client for it, um, kind of resemble in some ways instant messaging systems, but the user experience is kind of tuned to be different, especially with the idea that you might post public messages, which is kind of a thing that instant messenger systems 
didn't have, right? But one of the one of the funny things is that one of the ways that I sometimes talk to people, um, you know, directly is by sending direct messages over the Fediverse. And right now, so ActivityPub was actually designed, one of the reasons why, you know, OStatus, that ActivityPub was developed was that OStatus didn't have a nice way to do this. And ActivityPub at its core was like, we're going to do email style addressing. I guess we could also say email as, you know, in this category, but, uh, um, but it's going to have email style addressing where you could directly message certain people. And it is true that some, I probably more frequently, um, or at least with a wider group of people do something that resembles what I used to do with instant messaging over federate uh, Fediverse direct messages, which is kind of funny to me. Um, well, it isn't funny, right? Like, cause that was intentional, but, for but the current interfaces on like Mastodon and stuff like that, um, even though ActivityPub was designed for direct messages to be a, a first class citizen, or even maybe even more of a first class citizen other than public messages, the funny thing is is that kind of the because of the way that ActivityPub was dev- adopted, the general perception and the user experiences of the applications presented have primarily been oriented towards kind of the public social media perspective. I agree. But so um, we've been talking for a while and I, I want to get to something that you and I are both passionate about and we don't have a lot of time. So I want to, I want to jump to that. Okay. Which is uh, there is a conspicuous uh, piece missing from our discussion of early instant messengers and that's MUDs. Yes. And MUDs are, not just instant messengers, there were a whole way of interacting and communicating that is still unique to this day. And so I'm going to talk about my first experience on a MUD and how it, well, on a, on a MUD that wasn't just a regular gaming MUD and how it changed how I saw computers forever. So when I was in college, I worked at a computer lab. I was not uh, all that technical. Um, and I met these, um, what I'm going to call cool kids. And I don't remember what the name of this mud was, but these guys were like, Hey, do you want to join our mud? And I was like, yeah. So I logged onto this mud and, uh, it was basically like a text adventure, like Zork or any of those other ones. And you interacted with very simple commands and I appeared in this room and it was, um, kind of like a, a, a chalet, like a. Like there was snow outside and it would, on the screen it said there's a roaring fire and there's people talking and they're drinking and, and, um, I couldn't understand what anyone was saying. Uh, it, it just had garbled text. And then I see on the screen that someone grabs me and holds me down and shoves a fish in my ear. And suddenly, uh, I see on the screen, the babble fish has embedded itself in your head and suddenly you can hear and understand everyone. And, and suddenly all the text became readable and I could understand everyone what they were saying. And just as I did that, R2D2 rolled through the, the, the area beeping and bopping and there were wizards and people and dragons and creatures and you could go on an, a regular RPG, you know, fantasy t- style adventure while at the same time, literally simultaneously communicating with friends 
while simultaneously doing really cool computer sciencey things like creating objects and you absolutely felt like a like a wizard or a demigod where you make things in this virtual world and it was super easy super powerful and with a level of of immersiveness that nothing has since touched and when you chris talked about sprightly which was your idea for a distributed uh federated mud uh i just welled up with emotion because not because of this these interactions and how rich and powerful they are and um my nostalgia for it and how much i'm excited for this to happen again but this time on a worldwide scale so i wanted to make sure that we talked about that yes uh side note you actually told that exact story in a couple of episodes ago. Uh, yeah, but not everyone listens to all of our episodes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, so so I mean, so it is exciting. Uh, I think that it is an interesting way to do things. So, what, like one reason why I think that this is really interesting is, as you said, users could program the world, right? And the the ability for the world to be much more rich because you've got an experience where people are able to collaborate on building a world together and things happen in it. Okay. The things happen in it, I think is actually the key thing that isn't as much the case in some of these other systems, right? So like if we go all the way back to MIRC, I mentioned, or Merck, I mentioned trout slap and we didn't explain what that was. It was like this command you could have put in there that would be like forward slash trout slap user. And it would say like, you know, whoever does it, like, slap us, slaps the other person around with a large trout. And it was, like, this funny, goofy thing that was thrown in there. But it was kind of the a maximum amount of interactivity that you would have on IRC because it didn't really affect the world that you were in. And I think that's what's interesting about MUDs is that you're able to change the world that you're inside of as you're walking around. But it's actually the case that MUDs are not unique in this uh, in some ways, I heard that one of the most popular for, uh, social networking systems amongst teenagers right now is Fortnite, right? Um, which is also a world in which you can interact in things and stuff like that, except, you know, you don't have any ability to contribute to that world yourself, right? Yeah. And I think, and I think, um, we do, we, we didn't talk about the importance of games and interactivity in games. Um, something that, when you mentioned Fortnite, it made me think about was that I used to play a proprietary MMORPG called A City of Heroes. And I used to meet my regular superhero role-playing group um, on City of Heroes. So we was like, we were playing superheroes in a tabletop game, and then we'd go on City of Heroes and play more t- uh, superheroes. And when one of um, one of the players, one of my friends, got cancer and passed away, uh, we had a headquarters in the game and we set up a memorial for him in the game so that whenever we would go back to our secret headquarters, um, we would be reminded in some way of, of his presence. And that was very powerful. And when City of Heroes shut down, even though I had stopped playing, my first thought was that that my little memorial or our little memorial was going to go away. And I remember thinking how incredibly sad that was. Wow. So uh, that's a, both an amazing sorry. story and also one that I weirdly have like a very similar parallel to. Like as in terms of my origin story of these things, 
is myself and my friends got involved in a game called Grail, which was like a top-down 2D Zelda type thing where you could like press a button and open up this editor and start programming the game as you ran it. And that's how a bunch of my friends, when I was a teenager, we all became interested in programming was the ability to edit this world and run our own servers and stuff like that. Um, and one of the, this is not a pre-planned thing on the episode. I had no idea that we had this thing in common. Um, but one of my friends, uh, um, uh, Matt Despears, uh, committed suicide a number of years ago. Uh, and I discovered that he had built, um, a card trading game inside of the game. And I never knew him. Like he, he was always a person who had a lot of trouble kind of completing things, but he built this entire card trading thing inside of the game that a bunch of people picked up. And granted, this is a proprietary game. It's not free software. Um, but it, you know, a bunch of people had picked it up and started playing it. And, uh, when, uh, I wrote about his death, I got, um, emails from people who were, really um sad to find out that he had died they had wondered what had happened to him um and and it's because you know he contributed he you know you know he touched this little social world in a way that like was tangible to the other people experiencing it um on the way to the funeral um my friend ava and i decided we said we have to do something in honor of matt um and we decided we wanted to build a free software replacement for that game and we didn't end up actually doing that but it actually set the groundwork for what we did with liberated pixel cup and that's why liberated pixel cup which was this um two-part contest with both uh uh artwork and games that were all made to match this certain style why it looked kind of zelda like um was was in memorial of matt in some ways um, and, and I just find it really interesting that, you know, that we both have this shared experience where someone really dear to us, um, their sense of selves lived on in kind of this interactive dynamic world, you know, you know, maybe, you know, even after their passing. Um, and I don't know, I feel like there's something really powerful of that, about that. And for some reason, something that's really powerful that, um, for the large plat part, maybe with the exception of Minecraft, um, most modern systems don't have. Yeah, sorry, that uh, that really touched me. So I think you know we, we've really gone for a circle here, but I think what you're what you're touching on is how deeply impactful the core idea of communication on the internet is, and how um, I remember when I first got on the internet. And, you know, even before, it, even before I had internet access, it was just AOL and I got online. People were like, well, this is no replacement for real life. People are going to get sucked into this. And I remember thinking, but they don't understand this. This is just as real because there are people behind the keyboards. Like this is just as um, significant. And, and, and I don't know if I entire, entirely believe that now. I think real life interactions are, are richer. But... I think emotionally they're they're just as real for us, and they can be. Um, um, I'm going to say one more emotional thing, which is just um, I know a number of people who are trans, and the first place that they could express um, their gender 
is in-game, where they could choose a character design, an avatar, or whatever that more closely resembled their internal representation of self. And it might be years before they could come out, but they were able to be themselves using these online platforms. So, um, again, I think that having these kind of rich systems where it's, you know, yes, it's inst- yes, it's communication, but it's more than that. It's world building, it's self-expression, it's creation, um, it's creativity. That is super, super important. And it's more than just um, casual conversation. It's deeply important and meaningful and impactful. And um, it's one of the things that really intrigued me about Sprightly. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons that I um, specifically, you know, wanted to work with you, frankly, on this project is because um, I, I know that you're at the forefront of some of this stuff and I, I wanted to be part of that. So thank you for, for sharing that story. I know it's a weird place to kind of end. It um, is. But I think it's, sorry. But, no, no, no. I, I, I was probably going to say the same thing you were, which I think is pretty much that uh, maybe it's fitting though, right? Yeah. Um, you know, for, for someone like me, you know, again, I, I kind of come back to this. I met my first uh, significant girlfriend, my high school girlfriend in, on AOL. And um, I spent a lot of time. So my current partner and I, we don't live in the same city all the time. Um, I visit her and she visits me and um, we spend a lot of time online and communication systems are vitally important. Um, and again, you know, for, for people in my life who have either passed or trans or have mobility issues or social issues, these systems are, I, I don't even have the words for how important they are. And so... Um, yeah, the tone certainly is different than what we had thought this episode was going to end on, but uh, I'm glad we're ending here on this, on this note. Um, so speaking, (laughs) I have to make this really awkward transition now. So I hope you all excuse me. So if you'd like to communicate with us in IRC, we're at hash Libra lounge on Freenode. Uh, we're also on the Fediverse at at Libra lounge at floss.social on Twitter. We're at, uh, at Libra lounge. Uh, you can email us at podcast at LibraLounge.org. Um, I think that's that's everywhere. And hopefully one day we'll be somewhere else um, in some kind of place where you can richly interact with us. Um, but that's it for now. Yeah. Anything else you want to add before we sign off, Chris? Uh, no. Uh, the episode, as you said, kind of hit me in the feels at the end. Uh, but I'm glad it did. Uh, so thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you uh, Hope you enjoyed it. And see you next time. You've been listening to Libre Lounge. You can find and subscribe to us at LibreLounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Joth, which is waved into the public domain under CC0 and which you can find on OpenGameArt.org. If you'd like to support Chris Weber's work on this and other user freedom projects, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash c-w-e-b-b-e-r thanks for listening see you next time hey everyone serge again 
I know we touched on some heavy topics at the end there. If you're in feeling in crisis and need someone to talk to, I volunteer on a text-based crisis hotline called Crisis Text Line. You can text in any time, day or night, and talk to a trained crisis counselor. Just text 741-741 if you're in the U.S. or 686-868 if you're in Canada. That's 741-741 in the U.S. or 686-868 in Canada. We'll also have some other resources in the show notes. You're not alone.